Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? Go over with me to 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. That's the text from which my assignment comes today. And as you're turning there, I'm going to read you one other scripture, which has been the foundational scripture of our series called Double Blessing. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And then over in 2 Kings chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 came the pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went to Elisha from Gilgah. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I'm, I'm committed to this thing until the very end. By the way, one of the ways to get blessed in life is just commitment. There are so many people who miss out on the blessing of God simply because they don't stay committed. They don't stay committed in their jobs, right? They turn over from one job to the next and never get a chance for the job to bless you. They don't stay committed in their marriage. You know, marriage, by the way, staying committed for the long haul will actually put blessing in your life. Financial blessing too. Did you know that? Think of how many people lose inheritance because they get divorced. Right? Think of how many people have to pay money out of their pocket because they get divorced. Commitment produces blessing in life in so many just simple ways. And so he said, he said, as my, as your soul lives, he says, I'll not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and they said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know, but keep silent. That's the biblical way of saying shut up. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. You can't shake me. I'm staying with you through thick and thin, whether things are good or things are bad, whether we're living and doing great things or it looks like you're about to go home and meet the Lord. I'm staying with you. Now the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho came to Elijah and he said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And so he answered, yes, I know, but keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And by the way, these places are significant. We're going to look at them in a little while. He was basically going back on a tour of all of the significant places that God had brought Israel through and Israel from. And he kept wanting to see, you know, what God had done and the mantle that he was carrying and the legacy that he was leave, uh, leaving before he left the earth. And so he was visiting these places. And it says, but he said, as the Lord your God lives, I'll not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now sometimes we read that stuff so quick we miss what just happened. I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, you just strike the ground with your mantle, which was your cloak, and all of a sudden the waters part. This must have been an amazing sight to behold. And so it was when they had crossed over, and notice what they crossed over, they crossed over the Jordan, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. What if he left him? What if he wasn't committed when he said, you, you know, you can leave now? This question 
would have never been posed to him. This opportunity would have never been given to him. Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. That would have happened if he would have left. Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, by the way, it's not as easy to get doubly blessed as it may seem. Double blessing in your life requires an uncanny commitment to the things of God. And most people are not that committed to the things of God, and so they never see the full portion of what God has for them. He said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taking from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on. And they talked, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. It seemed like he wanted Elijah more than he wanted the double blessing, didn't it? It seemed like that even though he asked for the double blessing, when Elijah was taken from him, it hurt his heart. By the way, how many of you know we gotta want God more than we want double blessing in our life, right? We gotta, we gotta desire God so much that the blessing is just secondary. The blessing is the byproduct of the desire that we have for God. And he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more and he took his own clothes and he tore them in pieces. He also took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from he struck the water and he said where is the God of Elijah and when he also struck the water it was divided this way and that and Elisha crossed over now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah today in our final message in this series actually I think there's one more uh, double blessing I want to talk to you from the subject flip it flip it look at your neighbor and say flip it Come on, tell them like you mean to say, flip it. Come on, tell them strong, say, flip it. it. Praise the Lord, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister to every single heart by your power and by your grace. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. Well, let me catch you back up to speed just because it's been a week and you might have forgotten. By the way, that's why we have notes. You can get them online every single week so you can follow along with the sermon or you can follow along with them online right on your phone, on your mobile app as we're going through it so that you can remember the things that we've talked about and review them and get them locked in your heart. But last time we left off talking about ways in which you and I can walk in the blessing of God. And if you don't remember what the blessing of God is, it's his divine empowerment on your life so that you can prosper in every area of your life, right? Not just some areas, but every single area. God wants you blessed in every area of your life, relationally, physically, spiritually, financially, in your health, all those kind of things. God wants you blessed. And we said that there were a couple of keys to walking in the blessings of God. The first one, quick review, is you must believe it. You must believe that God wants to pour out his blessing on your life. Remember, I quoted A.W. Tozer, and he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So how do you see God? 
How do you see God? Do you see him as a miser? Do you see him as a, as somebody who's wanting to get you? Or do you see him as somebody who wants to bless your life? And if you don't think God wants to bless you, remember Jacob. We talked about him. Jacob did everything wrong in his life, but still God put a life changing blessing on him that turned him from Jacob into Israel. And you might remember that. So how do you see God? If you don't believe it, you can't receive it. Then number two, we said you need to speak it. You must declare God blessing over your life. And we saw this again in the story of Jacob, how God changed his name from Jacob, which means supplanter and struggler to Israel, which means prince with God. So that every time his name was called, the declaration of God's blessing was pronounced on his life. And when that declaration of God's blessing was pronounced on his life, it had the power to reverse the curse of him struggling all his life. And so we need to speak the blessing, just like if you don't believe it, you can't receive it. If you don't say it, you won't see it. I'm rhyming a lot, but I'm rhyming for a purpose so that you can remember these things. These are important spiritual principles. The Bible and the blessings of God does not come on your life by accident. It comes on your life by intention. Then number three, you must obey it. You must walk in obedience to God's word in order to position yourself under the umbrella of God's blessing. And you might remember in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse number two, it says, all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Obedience is the key to seeing the blessing of God on your life. God doesn't bless disobedience, but he sure does bless obedience. Obedience keeps us under the umbrella of God's blessing that is ours by virtue of what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. We need to stay under the umbrella of God's blessing. Speaking of the umbrella, by the way, um, the first man who ever carried an umbrella, his name was Jonas Hanway. And he was memorialized in London's iconic Westminster Abbey for the help that he gave to the helpless, to the abandoned, to the friendless, to the prostitutes, to to youth who had nowhere to go. He was memorialized in the Westminster Abbey as a friend and father of the poor. Later on in life, he became the VP of the Foundling Hospital, and that was a hospital that was a home to the homeless where families that were in dire straits or children that were abandoned could go and find refuge. He was the first man in London to carry an umbrella. Before that, before he carried the umbrella, the umbrella was thought to be an accessory just for ladies. Back in the day, real men got wet. That's basically what they thought. And so he broke the trend in that area. He was a pioneer of the umbrella being for everyone. And and so is the blessing of the Lord. It is a, a umbrella, if you will, that is for everyone. It knows no sex. It knows no gender. It knows no skin color. It is available for everyone. And that's everyone that walks in obedience to the word of God. The good news, though, is that we talked about this. If you walk out from underneath the umbrella and you're getting wet by the storms of life, you can always walk back underneath the umbrella and you can find refuge and safety. The blessing of God is not a get out of jail free card, but it is a promise that where life puts a period, God just puts a comma. In other words, there's, there's more to come, that God will turn every situation into your life into a blessing if you will be obedient to his word. And then number four, We said you must fight for it. You and I must value God's blessings over 
everything else in our lives. The reason why some people don't get blessed or experience the blessing of God is because they're like Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother in the Bible, right? He traded his birthright blessing for a bowl of stew. And we talked about the fact that if Satan's stew, and Satan's got a different stew that he fixes up for all of us, right? It really repeats it in almost everybody, but everybody is susceptible to some type of stew. And, and the question is, do we value the sat- satanic stew more than we value the supernatural blessing of God? For you remember, in, in the Bible, there were so many people who substituted or traded out the blessing of God for some ch- uh, cheap substitute. For Esau, it was a bowl of stew. For Samson, it was a one-night stand. For Judah, it was 30 pieces of silver. Such an inferior things, or such inferior things to trade out the blessing of God. What, what is your stew? What is the thing that, that, that you want now? The, the temptation that you fall into now, that you are trading out for the supernatural blessing of God on your life. Can I just tell you, they don't even compare. God's is better in every single way. And the reason why the blessing stayed on Jacob and not on Esau was because Jacob got to the point in his life where he said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm going to fight for the blessing of God. Whereas Esau said, I'll, I'll just give it up for a bowl of stew. And then the last one, and the one I want to talk to you about today, and this is where I believe the power is. This is where blessing turns into double blessing. It's when you, it's when you flip it. When you, when you pass on your blessing, when you let God use you to be a blessing, it becomes a full force multiplier in your life. You know what force multipliers are, right? Force multipliers, they talk about this in sports a lot, right? That you, you can add certain people to a team, and the team gets better in that position. But then you add other people to the team, and everybody on the team gets better. They, they're, they're a force multiplier, right? Well, flipping it is a force multiplier when it comes to the blessing of God in your life. Nowadays, people get rich by flipping houses, right? And that's cool and all that kind of stuff. But I pray that God helps me to put into words how blessed you become when you flip what God has done in your life and you let that touch other people's lives. Flipping your blessing turns God's single blessing into a double blessing in your life. Six times... In the Bible, God promises double. Let's look at them. Number one, in Isaiah 61, verse number seven, double prosperity for shame and dishonor is promised. Isaiah 61, verse seven says, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Second place, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, double honor is promised to faithful spiritual leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible right there. That was a joke because it applies to me, right? Uh, number three, in, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 12, 
It's promised double blessing to prisoners of war. Watch this. Zechariah 9.12 says, Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. This promise of double is interesting because God gives it to Israel after they were prisoners of war, captive by the Babylonians. And God, instead of calling them prisoners of war, he says, I want you to see yourself as prisoners of hope. Comes back to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you are captive, how do you see God? Do you see him as somebody who sets the captives free? When, when you're in pain, how do you see God? Do you see him as a God who bottles your tears and takes notice of everything that you're going through? When you're being tested and feel trapped, how do you see God? Do you see him as the God who always causes you to triumph? When you're experiencing trouble, do you see God as the God who recompenses double for your trouble? How do you see God? God said, look, I know you're a prisoner of war right now, but I want you to see yourself as a prisoner of hope. And when you see yourself as a prisoner of hope, expecting good things to come. Guess what happens? Double comes your way. I love it in the message. Here's what it says. And you, because of my blood covenant with you, Zechariah 9, 12, because of my blood covenant with you, I'll release your prisoners from their hopeless cells. Come home, hope-filled prisoners. This very day, I'm declaring double bonus, everything you lost returned twice over. I don't know about you, but I love that. That gets me excited. Anybody ever lost anything? Anything ever get taken away from somebody? And it hasn't been taken away from you because of your sin and stupidity, but it got taken away from you because the devil came in and he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Every time that happens in your life, guess what? Get ready for double. Why? It's a promise in the word of God. Double for your trouble. Twice over returned. The greatest double blessing in all the world that we've ever received, if you're a believer, is a double blessing we received in Christ. Number one, our sin forgiven and forgotten through the death of Christ. Number two, his life being credited to our account. It's a double blessing. They say, what do you mean, pastor? Well, the reason why God doesn't punish us for our sin, anybody happy about that? The reason why God doesn't punish us for our sin, and there's a difference between punishment and consequences, by the way consequences are the things that we cause in our own life. Hello? Anybody with me? But anyway, uh, the reason why God doesn't punish us with eternal damnation for our sin, which is the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. Sin doesn't get a wink from God. Sin doesn't get a pass from God. Sin doesn't get a, uh, all right, everybody's human from God. Sin gets death from God. That's what, that's the consequences of sin. It is eternal separation from God. And the reason why God doesn't punish us in that way is because he punished himself for us. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserved so that God would not have to punish us with the eternal consequences of our sin. And so because of the death of Christ, our sin is forgiven and forgotten. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. But if all God wanted to do was withhold punishment from us, Jesus could have showed up one day, died the next day, resurrected the following day. We'd be good because we'd be able to, God would be able to say, okay, I'm not going to punish you. But before he died on the cross, he lived 
a sinless, spotless life for 33 and one half years. A life, listen to me carefully, deserving of every good thing that God, our Heavenly Father, has for us. And by the way, that's all he has for you. You realize that. Every good thing and every perfect, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Jesus, who was the express image of the Father, God manifest in the flesh, Acts 10.38, he went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The Bible says in Psalms over and over again, God, you are good. Matter of fact, Jesus... When the rich young ruler came to him and he said, he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He looked at the man and he said, why do you call me good? It wasn't because he wasn't good. He was alerting the man to the fact that by virtue of calling him good, he was recognizing that he is God because God only does good. And so Jesus, when he lived his life, 33 and a half years, he merited everything. Every good gift that God the Father has that you and I do not deserve. But here's the beauty. Here's the double bonus of being in Christ. Not only do you get uh, relieved from punishment for your sin because of the death of Christ, but the life of Christ is credited to your account so that his righteousness becomes yours. And by virtue of what Jesus did with his life, God is able to give you every good blessing that he has because he's not looking at you. He's looking at the life of Jesus credited to you and that's what grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Oh, that was so good. Y'all ain't ready for me this morning. Double blessing. Double blessing. In Job chapter 42 verse number 10 we are promised double blessing in our latter days. You ever, you ever get around people as they start getting older? They start thinking like, all right, you know, everything that I was going to experience and everything is kind of done. And they, they kind of throw in the towel and they kind of coast. Don't coast. Why? So much more. Do you know your ladder can be better than your beginning? Do you know your ladder can be better than your current? Do you know your ladder can be better than your former? Do you know that? I mean, when I started thinking about this thing, God's been good to me up until this point. I'm 51. I know I don't look at it. I'm 51. And God's been good to me. But I just can't, I just can't get my mind around the fact that God says my ladder will be greater than my former. I can't wait to see how good God is gonna be to me in my latter years. Job 42. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. Verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, uh, uh, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He blessed the latter. And what was interesting is it was so in line with the law, the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law, and that's the fifth time double blessing is pronounced in the Bible. In Exodus 22, verse number 2, it says, if a thief is caught with an animal that he stole and found alive, whether it be an ox or an ass or a sheep, he shall restore double. And so because the enemy came into Job's life and, and stole all of his property, 
some of which was were animals, God gave him back double. I got to thinking about this. If the Old Testament law said, if a thief is caught, he's got to pay double. What about the New Testament thief? What about the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? What happens when he gets caught stealing something from God's kids? Well, if God gave them double in the Old Testament, I don't know about you, but I'm expecting even greater than double for everything that the enemy has stolen. If the enemy has stolen anything for you, brace yourself and start getting ready for everything in your life to double. But you got to believe it. And if you don't believe it, you can't receive it. And then the last time in the Bible double is mentioned is in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 10. It's our opening text. This is a double anointing promise to flippers. If you're a flipper, the promise is a double anointing. What if you're not a flipper? No double anointing. Watch this. 2 Kings chapter 2, Verse number nine says, and so it was when they had crossed over that Elisha said to Elijah, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taking from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be for you. In other words, this is not whether God wants you to have it or not. In other words, there's a condition here. How many of you know most of God's will, by the way, is already decided. Did you know that? God's will is already decided. On the cross, God, and through the resurrection, God memorialized his will. Matter of fact, he signed his will in blood. Blood covenant. The New Testament is the revealed will of God. That's like when people pray, you know, for things that are promised in the Bible, and they add, if it be your will, it's insulting to God. Very insulting. Like imagine I leave my will, right? And of course I, I leave my will and everything that I have, all my possessions I leave to my, to my wife and kids, right? And then they, they, they read the whole will and they find out, whoo, daddy, daddy was good to us right here. And then they start asking, well I wonder if daddy really wanted us to have it. That's insulting. It's written there, right there. God's will has been decided. He said, if you see me, It'll come on you. If you don't see me, it won't come on you. In other words, if you obey the word, it'll come on you. If you don't obey the word, it won't come on you. Either way, God wants you to have it. And don't get condemned if you're not obeying the word. Because all it takes for you to get underneath the umbrella of God's blessing is to start obeying the word. The good thing about God is you can start any single time. Right? And so he says, if you see me, it'll be. If you don't see me, it won't be. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. He struck the water. He said, where is the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it divided this way and that. Elijah crossed over. And when the sons of the prophets who were with him from Jericho saw it, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah. The double fell on Elijah. By the way, did you notice the, the trip they took? Gilgal, Gilgal, Bethel. Jericho, Jordan. Gilgal was where they stacked the 12 stones after they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, uh, Joshua took over. And you remember, he led them through the first parting of the Jordan River. 
And he led them through the first parting of the Jordan River. And you remember this when we talked about renewing your mind? What did they do? They went back into the middle of the river. They took out 12 stones from in the middle of the river. And they stacked them on the other side at a place called Gilgal. And so Gilgal was the place where they memorialized their separation from Egypt. It was where they memorialized the fact that they had left the old life behind and they had now separated themselves as onto God and they were now going into the promised land. And then Bethel, second place he visited, that means house of God. And the third place he visited, that's Jericho. Jericho in the Bible means first. What was the city of Jericho? It was the first fruits of the promised land. And you remember what happened? They took Achan, you remember Achan? They took of the first fruits. Remember, he hid God's. How many of you know the first is God's? Not yours, it's God's. And so he hid the first underneath his tent. And after defeating Jericho, which was a walled city, which was a huge city, which was a big city, which was a formidable city, they lost at Ai, which was a puny little city with an army that was so small they got overconfident, right? And they went in there and they fought with 300 men and they got their butts handed to them, just like the Vikings are going to get their butts handed to them today. And so what they should have won, they lost. And the reason why what they should have won, they lost, is because they touched what belongs to God. When we keep what belongs to God, we lose battles we're supposed to win. But when we give God what is due God, we win battles we're supposed to lose. Was that too quick for some of you? So he goes to Jericho, which is first, first city. And then he ends up, the last step is the Jordan. It's where God did the miracle which brought them officially out of the wilderness into the promised land. And the message from Elijah, Elijah, Elijah to Elijah, why did he take them to these four places? It wasn't just Elijah going back and visiting the places that God had done amazing things. It was also Elijah schooling e- Elisha before he left him. And here was the message he was telling him. If you want double, you have to separate yourself from the world. Put the house of God and the things of God first. And then you will see the miracle of double in your life. Was that, I mean, that was, you missed that. Here is why most people do not experience double in their life. But you can Because in order to experience double in your life, you've got to separate yourself from the things of the world. We can't be half in, half out. We can't be lukewarm. We can't be playing with the world and then, and then playing church. We gotta have a full commitment to God, fully separated to the things of God, and then God's house and God and, and the things that God's value need to be first in our lives. This is not my church. This is not your church. Even though it is our church, guess whose church is? It's God's church, right? It's God's kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's his. And so how we treat the house of God is a measuring stick for how we treat God himself. And God said, if you will separate yourself from the world, if you will put the house of God and the things of God first, you will see the miracle of double in your life. But I want you to notice how double showed up. Double showed up in miracles. 
And if you study the lives of both Elijah and Elisha, you'll find out that Elisha, the mentee, did twice as many miracles as Elijah, the mentor. By the way, anybody who comes out from under you ought to do more than you. You're truly not a mentor unless what you produce produces more than you. And the reason why this is important, I'll talk about this in just a little while. The reason why this is important is because we have to start understanding that we are not it. That we, we are a part of the team, but we are not the team. We're, we're a part of God's army, but we are not God, God's army. And therefore, we ought to play our role, even though our role can be extremely significant. The fact of the matter is, when we leave, we ought to pass on, and what we pass on ought to get even greater in the next generation because we have sown into them. Every generation should always stand on the shoulders of the generation that came before them. And if we don't have people to stand on our shoulders, our life really hasn't accomplished what God has intended it for it to do. And so, 28, if you go through the scriptures, Elisha did 28 miracles, Elijah did 14. The double blessing came upon him, but what's a miracle? A miracle is when you take the anointing God puts on you, and you flip it into something else. A miracle is when God put something on you, and you touch somebody else's life with it. And so 28 times in his life, what Elisha did is he said, God, I feel this anointing come on you. Guess what I'm going to do with this anointing? I'm going to flip it. I realize that this anointing is not just for me, even though I get affected by it in a very positive way. But the reason why the anointing came, came upon me is so because you trust me, God, to pass on your power to somebody else. And that is what a miracle is. And so 28 times he passed it on and if you don't know it you ought to know it by now but if you don't know it let me remind you the reason why blessing comes on our life is not just for us blessing is meant to be flipped and so God puts it on our life because he trusts our life. And then what God says is, are you going to flip the blessing that I've given you? Genesis chapter 12 verse number 2. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. The question is not are you blessed. The question is are you being a blessing. And see most people, they stop at am I blessed. At Thanksgiving, we take time. And we're all going to sit around and we're going to say, we're going to thank God for all of the blessings in our life. And we're going to thank him for this and thank him for that and thank him for this. Add one more thing to your thanksgiving. God, now who and what and where do you want me to be a blessing with all of the blessings that you have placed in my life? Right? Elijah passed it on 29 times. Ask yourself, where can I flip the favor that has fallen on me? Who can I be a miracle to? It was Winston Churchill who said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. The true measure of the mark of our life is not what we personally see. It's what we start that we may never see. Did you hear me? The true measure of the mark that we leave on life is not only what we see, But it's what we start that we may never, ever see. God showed me some things long ago about the worldwide impact of our ministry. 
And I've seen a lot of it. And before I leave earth, I'm going to see a lot more of it because God's going to do better in the next part of my life than he did in the prior part of my life because he promised that. But God also showed me something. He said, there are certain things that I showed you early on that you probably will never see, but you'll start and your kids will see. You see, we need to realize that that's okay because that is part of the process, right? God wants us to understand that just like Elijah was Elijah's double portion, Elisha was Elijah's double blessing. There are certain we can be a portion to somebody, a double portion, but then their actions become our double blessing. You might remember in the book of Hebrews, it says, some having died in faith, never having seen what God had promised to them, God had something better for us. That wasn't failure. That was part of the process of how the kingdom of God works, that we create legacy, that we start things that we may never see, and that we just look on from the pearly gates of heaven over the sapphire seal of heaven, and we watch from the grandstands, and we cheer people on in their race so that when they come through, more has been done for the kingdom. That is our goal. There was a man by the name of Amos Alonzo Stagg. He was a college football coach at the University of Chicago in the early 1900s. He pretty, pretty much invented football as we know it. He was responsible for the huddle, for the onside kick, for the T formation, for the forward pass. He won two national titles. And after one of his winning seasons, a reporter congratulated the coach on a job well done. Here was his response, and I quote, I won't know how good a job I did for 20 years. That's when I'll see how my players turned out. See, he was a believer. He was, he was a Christ follower. And the reason why he took a job as a coach, and I quote again, is he said, I decided that my life can be best used for my master's service in the position that you have offered me, and that's being a coach. In other words, he wasn't, he wasn't a coach just because he wanted to win football games. He was a coach because he looked at it as an opportunity to disciple the young men that came from him. And he has a vast coaching tree. How many of you have a coaching tree? How many of you have a discipleship tree? What is a discipleship tree? It's the people that have come to know Christ and have been influenced for the cause of Christ and have grown in their relationship with Christ because they came out from you. They knew you, right? Last week, Pastor Marcus came here. He ministered. He's touching the whole world. I'm so happy about that. That's part of my tree. See, we need to have coaching trees. But can I tell you what kind of other tree we need to have? We need to have giving trees. Remember the book when your kids were were younger, The Giving Tree? I don't know if you ever read that to your kids. If you haven't, go back and check it out. But what's a giving tree? A giving tree is the stuff that emerges from the for the kingdom as a result of our giving. Some things we see, some things we may never see. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Every year we come together in our special offering. And you know what we're doing? We're creating a giving tree. We're creating a legacy of lives that we are touching for the cause of the kingdom. I just happen to have a couple of examples here. These are 15 cards. There was 25 of them, but I only took 15. I'm not going to read all 15. 15 cards from the ladies in the Hoving Home. The girls that 
will be here next week with us to sing and share their testimonies and how God has touched their lives. And these are their thank you cards for the scholarships that we give them every time they graduate from the program. Every time they graduate from the program, we give them a thousand bucks to help them get on our way. Here's what one girl said. She said, Pastor Frank and Great Faith Church, and by the way, thank you for allowing me to get cards like this. It's not just me who gets the credit, it's, it's us. Pastor Frank and Faith Church, I'm so grateful and appreciative for your generosity for me to be able to pay my rent and get what I need. All thanks and glory goes to God and your heart for helping us women. That's what one said. Another one said this. It's our giving tree. She said, thank you so much for the $1,000. The money you gave helped me to get my needs met until I gain employment. Thank you. Here's what this young girl said. She said, Pastor Frank of Faith Church, I want to thank you so much. Um, God is so good. This will help me move forward into my future. I am in awe. This check filled my heart and my eyes with tears. Thank you so much for your love. God bless you and Faith Church. That's our giving tree. That's what happens when we come together and when we say, God, you know what? We want to flip the blessings that you've given us into our lives. One more story. Just recently, there was a a lady. She wasn't even part of our church, kind of fringe part of our church. She was going to give birth to two kids. She wanted to abort the kids. And the reason why she wanted to abort the kids was because she couldn't afford to keep herself financially. And now she thought, how am I going to feed these two other kids? And so we decided, one of the pastors brought it to our attention, so we decided to pay our rent for three months, the last three months of her pregnancy, so that way she could afford to not have to work like she everybody needs to work, right? Or like she needed to work, and so she can have those babies. She had those babies. She then gave those babies to one of the families in our church who adopted them. This particular family could not have kids on their own, and now God has given them twins. One boy, one girl. What? That's your giving tree. That's what happens when we come together and we say, God, we're going to do things to bless your kingdom. And, and so God comes along and he, and he doubly blesses our lives when we flip it, when we take the anointing and the, whatever God puts on our life and we pass it on. You all have heard of George Frederick Handel, right? Handel's Messiah, right? He was a struggling, uh, composer toward the end of his life when he was about 56 years old he was past his prime in composing he he was struggling with depression he was in debt he had a stroke his stroke was hindering his right hand and so he was having a hard time but on august the 22nd 1741 he started composing and he did not leave his house for three weeks in fact he rarely left his composing chair during those 21 days 21 days later he emerged from the room with a writing 259 pages long, three acts. It was a masterpiece. It was known as Handel's Messiah. Act one points to the coming of Christ. Act two, the passion of Christ. And act three celebrates the resurrection. And the last thing that he penned on the paper was three letters, S-D-G. And I don't do Spanish very well, but here's what it means. Solo Dio Gloria, to God be the glory. Why did God get glory from this? Well, Messiah debuted as an Easter offering at the Great Music Hall in Dublin, Ireland. It wasn't just a concert. It was a benefit concert. It raised $86,000 in today's money, and the money was used to free 142 men from debtor's prison. 
Messiah was a double blessing. The first blessing was the music that God gave to Handel. The second was the money that Handel made from the music that he gave to set prisoners free. But it gets better. In his will, Handel left a full score of Messiah to the foundling hospital. What was the foundling hospital? It was the hospital that Jonas Hanway, the guy with the umbrella, that he served as governor and president as. All the proceeds were used to further the foundling hospital's Matthew 25 mission, feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, and caring for the sick. What a double blessing. Handel flipped what God had given to him. Handel flipped his time and his talent in the form of treasure. And then he gave that treasure to the work of the Lord. You know, that's what we do every time we give. Every time we give in our regular offering, every time we give in special offerings, we're flipping what God has given us. We're flipping our time and our talent. Has God given you time? Yes, you live your life. Those days, you have those days because of God. He numbered them in your books. He's given you time. Has God given you talent? Yes. Everything wonderful that you can do, guess where it comes from? It comes from God. And whenever we give in the offering, what we're doing is we're flipping our time and our talent and we're putting a part of ourself into the offering. For some people, it's a small part of themselves. For other people, it's a big part of themselves. And we put that in and by doing so, we're recognizing what Deuteronomy 8.18 says, God, it is you that gives us the power to get wealth that you may establish your covenant. In other words, God, I realize that the reason why I have talent, the reason why I have time is because of you. And God, I'm just just honoring you with that right now. Handel wasn't a musician who followed Christ. He was a Christ follower that made music. You and I aren't teachers and preachers and lawyers and civil workers and carpenters and cashiers who follow Christ. We are Christ followers who are called to use our time and our talents that God has given us to be a blessing to the work of God, to flip what God has entrusted to us to bless his work of the Messiah. Here's what it was said. Messiah, the the, the song. By the way, I listened to it the other day. I actually asked Pastor Ronald, I said, can, can you play the Messiah? said, you got skills like that? He said, "He said, Pastor, you realize it's like two hours and ten minutes long. I said, oh yeah, it was 259 pages. So I started listening to it on the way home. It wasn't my cup of tea. It's opera and all that. I'm like, God's anointing had to be on this thing because it ain't blessing me none. But here's a big blessing. Here's what I said of the Messiah. Messiah has fed the hungry, clothed the naked, and fostered the orphan more than any other single musical production. Perhaps the works of no other composer have so largely contributed to the relief of human suffering. Was the success of Messiah correlated to the fact that it debuted as a benefit concert that freed prisoners in debtors' prison and that it was bequeathed all of the proceeds to the foundling hospital? Was that why it was successful? Listen to me. Correlation doesn't always equal causation except in God's kingdom. People will often ask me this question, young pastors or even old pastors, they said, how are we able to build such a big ministry in an area that doesn't have one? And I thought about that. And I think the answer to the question is because, and I don't 
mean to take any credit. I'm just telling, bragging on God for just a minute because I decided to flip my blessing. I decided to say, God, here's my life. Here's my career. Promising career as a CPA attorney. Here's the house that I'm building. Here's my family and my relatives that I love to nearby. And God, I'm going to give all that to you and I'm going to flip it and allow you to use me for your kingdom. That was 25 years ago and here we are today. God has blessed us so much. Why Why is Faith Church a church that is so blessed? We had one church down the road. They wrote us a little letter. They said, we know you all are so blessed. Can you share some of those blessings with us? We need financial help. Why are we so blessed? We're blessed because we're flipping our blessing continuously. This summer here in New Milford, you know, the, uh, the high school had a fire. And they had a robotics camp that was set to uh, meet in there, but they couldn't meet in there anymore. And they had a couple, I don't know, 100, 150 kids, something like that, signed up for it. So they started calling around where they could have it and how much it would cost. We said, well, y'all could use our place free. They came in and they sent us a nice letter afterwards. We were flipping our blessing. Just a couple of weeks ago, they needed a place that they could have a benefit concert so they could raise money to help refugees from Ukraine. They needed a place to do it in. We said, you could use our place for free. Flipping our blessing. The police every single year, they need to raise money to help, you know, all the things that they do and their retirees and people who got wounded on the job and all that. And they come here every year and have a benefit concert every every year right here for free. Why? We're flipping our blessing. Why is this the place that people are drawn to? Why is this a place where miracles happen? Why is this a place where people get saved? It's 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 a place like that because we are committed to flipping our blessing. And when you flip your blessing, when you take what God has given and entrusted to you and you use it to further inst- further the kingdom of God, double blessing comes on your life. I mean, so many churches struggled through COVID, went out of business through COVID, we got stronger. Our our bank accounts quadrupled. Quadrupled. Because God knows. And even during that time, what were we doing? We were taking the blessing that he put on us and we were flipping it. We said, you know what we're going to do? You remember this? We said, we're going to go to all the restaurants. And we're going to buy every single week. $2,500 worth of worth of meals and we're going to take those meals that we give the $2,500 to the restaurants to 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 go ahead and make and we're going to flip them and give them to people in the community right now who are in need and so we're going to take the blessing that God has put on us and we're going to turn it into not just a double blessing bless the restaurant but a triple blessing bless the people that God why did our bank accounts quadruple because we were flipping our blessing see when you flip your blessing it works in any situation it doesn't just work when things are going good it works when things are going bad God has called us at a church as a church to continue to flip our blessing we want to do so much with this special offering we want to upgrade all of our camera equipment to 4k we want people to see up close just how handsome I really are we need to get we want to get the word out to the world we want to upgrade we're living in a digital age right now we need to reach people on the other side of that camera We want to expand our Wilka campus. Our Wilka campus is busting from the seams right now. 
They need to buy the next building over from them that's attached to them just so we could put a new children's ministry on it, just so we could put another youth ministry on it. We want to we want to expand there. We want to reach out to continue to bless the women of the Hoving Home and see God supernaturally change their lives. We want to reach out to the world through our New York City location. We want to buy equipment there so we can stream our services there. Do you know what all that's going to cost? Minimally, $510,000. To do it like I want to do it, $1.5 million. This, 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 what it actually costs, and then we do it God's way. You say, Pastor, really, we need to get, do you realize when you do something God's way, how much it costs? Remember when they built the temple? Don't they line the thing with gold? Could you imagine people in today's world, oh, Look at us coming into this church to get everything lined with gold. That's where our money is going to. It's God's house. Come on, it's God's house. It's God's house. Does God deserve the best or what? It's God's house. We're going to receive our offering. I don't know if you saw last week I sent a little message to everybody. I said, don't just you decide what you want to give but pray and the reason why I did that is because that's what I did when I I know obviously before everybody else does that we're going to do a special offering and so I decided I would give X amount but I had him pray and uh, then I started to pray and the Lord put on put on my heart to give four times what I had decided to pray four times I was like I don't know God four times so I made the decision okay God I'll I'll do it and do you know within a week's time two business deals came together and in both business deals one business deal it cost me the exact number less than I thought I was going to have to pay that God told me to give the other business deal I made exactly that much more than I thought I was going to make that the amount that God told me to give and then I got a check in the mail yesterday yesterday unexpected check it's not a check I can keep it's a check that I got to pass through but it was the exact number that God told me to give God was just like just in case you're waffling right here just want to remind you this is what I want you to give I said God we're going to flip our blessing are you ready to flip your blessing All we ask is that you be obedient to the Lord so that we can continue to reach the world for Jesus Christ, so that we can reach our community for Jesus Christ and all of our locations. Everybody doesn't have to give the same amount, but can I just be honest with you? Everybody should give what God has put on your heart as you purposed in your heart. So let us give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver.